This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. This is How Do You Do That with Emily Tresseter on Joy 94.9, the show answering the questions you didn't even know you had. This week's guests are comedic performers Matthew Kelly and Richard Higgins. They are a comedy double act that create comedy for kids and their adults. They call it Kidult Entertainment. Together, they are the Listies. We chat about what it's like to perform and how it creates an ultimate presence, how they've continued to work with each other for almost 15 years, and why you're never too old to enjoy their work. I always say that when I'm standing on stage next to Rich making people laugh, it's there's nothing else in the world going on in that moment. And it's a really beautiful feeling that I don't think many people who aren't on stage get to experience. It's very present, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah. So I mentioned that Matt and Rich are the listies. What can you expect from a listies performance? Our shows are raucous and funny comedy. It's a double act, so like Bert and Ernie, which I feel appropriate saying on Joy FM as it's, you know, they're the world's first gay entertainers. Pioneering puppets. Pioneering puppets. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, our show is, it's it's fun, it's loud, they're laugh-a-minute kind of kids' comedy. So silliness is a definite for the listies, and they've been creating silliness together for a while now. I wanted to know when they started performing as the Listies. Uh, in the dinosaur era, mm. when uh, so long ago, ages. <laughs> we started uh, the Listies in two thousand and eight. Although we did perform kids comedy together sporadically through the early aughts. Yeah, we did, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah. So, how did you meet? We met at RMIT University. There was a, a director in residence there called uh, Lynn Ellis who was sort of, if you want, I I always think she looks like a sort of Patti Smith Mm. who crossed with a Harajuku girl. (laughs) Yeah, that's so good. That's that's her style. That's so Um, good. So she was the director in residence there and she was kind of bonkers. She came from the like La Mama theatre scene from the 80s and 90s. But she was director in residence there and neither Matt nor I were students there. Mm. But she roped us both in saying because we were friends of people who were students going oh you you'll be great just be in the show and every year they would do a kids show so it was like two months of actual work yeah which was kind of amazing and that's where we met doing kids shows basically we did a show we did the twits they were pretty much brought together when they first met what were they doing before they performed together in the twits Matt tells us first. I was working at the National Science and Technology Centre in Canberra doing Questacon, doing their public performances, and then trying to do, like, proper acting at night time. To be fair, you were. Matt was in a one-man Albert Camus show that got five stars in The Age. Oh, Hey, look at that. Amazing. Yeah, back when people used to read newspaper (laughs) Yeah, back when when reviews mattered. So then Lynn came up to Canberra, the lady at RMIT. Uh, She came up to Canberra and pretty much rescued me from a miserable, sad life up there. And brought you down to Melbourne (laughs) so you could have a miserable, sad life in Melbourne. (laughs) Yeah, but at least the coffee's better. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 100% (laughs) worth it. Yeah, so I was doing a little bit of that stuff and I I came down up to study at uh, Deakin University to do performance out at Deacon. So I was doing a little bit of acting stuff 
and Rich, you'd been doing the RMIT shows. I have. I did acting. Yeah, I, I acted when I was a kid, and then Lynn got me back into it. But I wasn't studying acting. I was I was basically studying cultural studies and critical theory at, at Monash, and not knowing what the hell I was going to do with my life. But then Lynn came along and said, "Do indie theatre," and so I went, "Okay," and that's that's what I did from then on. So from their chance meeting, I asked how they then went on to form the listies. Well, Matt and I were sort of part of this um, scene. There was a cabaret night, sort of alternative performance night. I used to curate with a woman called Bron Batten. It was called The Last Tuesday Society, and it was on at pubs in the inner north. And it was great. It was great. We used to do it once, once a month, and it would be people doing like three-minute bits, and I would host it. And Matt and I would often get up and do little bits at that, I think. I think it started before that, though, didn't it? Did it? Yeah, well, we, we both ended up in Edinburgh at the yeah, same right. time. And we did a, a sketch. At the Bongo at Club. At the Bongo Club, yeah. So it was just this weird... Three-minute thing. Three-minute thing. Yeah, it was really strange. And we called ourselves Matt and Rich, which I thought was good. <laughs> Very I don't cool. know why we kept... I, why didn't we keep that? that I have no good. idea. <laughs> well, I've, I think a lot of times our producers would want us to do that. We'll yeah, have to explain, it would be easy. Explain the listies We'd probably so. be on FM radio now and rolling in money if we'd call ourselves <laughs> Matt and Rich. The listies is a terrible name. Yeah, so... And then we... So then we, we started doing adult alternative comedy and uh, we had a very... Pra- the, it's, it's actually not that interesting a story, but I think it's interesting from like a... None of this is interesting. No, that's no true. No one will listen to this. Everyone stopped. Even, <laughs> even my mum's tuned out. So we we had a very practical conversation with somebody called John Paxanos, who if anyone who is involved in the arts would know John Paxanos. But he sat us down and said, you know, made us You're look terrible. At, Give up. <laughs> made us look at, our, at what we were doing, which was trying to eke out a living doing the performance circuit of like festivals. Edinburgh. Yeah. Dublin. Adelaide, Perth, Melbourne Comedy Festival, that kind of circuit and then he sort of said well you're probably not going to make enough money at this stage doing that just doing that so then he sort of suggested that we do a kid show during the day because we were at those festivals anyway so we made a kid show to do that and then the listies was sort of born out of that really sort of yeah 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 i will say the way we formed was matt had one deal or no deal okay yeah he'd won a chunk of cash on deal or no deal and so went traveling for two years and while he was traveling i knew he was running out of money in london and so i said to him i've put us in the melbourne fringe festival we're called the list operators the image for the show was the list operators written on my hand and photocopied on a photocopier (laughs) and uh i've booked the show and we've got a you know time so we have to when you get back we're gonna have to make a show in two weeks so that's actually how it started started the listies, the name, yeah, which we yeah. discussed, which is yeah. excellent. <sighs> Thanks. <laughs> I like this podcast. It's great. Yeah, I'm a fan. <laughs> the listies came from the list operators. Thank you, Emily. Yep. Yep. And where did the list operators come from? Well, it was because everything in our show was based on lists. Yeah, so we made a list of things in the show, a list of ways to start the show, a list of this, a list of that. There were lists all the way down the walls. Everything in the show was based on list. It was sort of a nice structure because we had like this sort of fairly meaningless, absurdist comedy that we were doing and mm. it was a way of structuring it. And then you just shortened the list operators to the listies. Yeah. yeah. When we started doing kid shows, we were called the list operators for kids. Yeah, which is ah. a really snappy name. So yep. snappy. But uh, then we um, and then engaged go- a corporate branding uh, thing for like a million dollars and then they suggested the listies. So I think that was money well spent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
We're no, still trying to, to pay be fair, off that the consult. listies was what everyone called us anyway. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, so it's like little nickname. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and then it's just stuck now. Here we are. That's where we are. Registered trademark. Wow. The name sort of evolved over time, and so did the act as well. It started as a bit of a side hustle. I was curious about when the listies for kids became their full-time gig. When did that shift? I, it's about four years in, wasn't it? Yeah, I th- it was different times for us because I said to Rich, I remember very clearly saying to Rich after our very first List Operators for Kids show that I said that if that's my job for the rest of my life, I will die a very happy man. Then he was uh, he was planning to die yeah, very, very shortly soon after that. After that. <laughs> I was in my mid-twenties. So we tried to do both at the same time. And one, just we were getting more work doing the kids' stuff and... It was equally as satisfying, and then yeah, I think it was about. And I think it was just, it was, it was yeah. just a little bit. It, it, yeah, it's that thing of like it chooses you. Yeah, it chose us. Like honestly, like to, not to get like mystical about it, but it was just so much fun. And you finish work at four o'clock. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> I, think I think one of the reasons why we've been able to do it is we've taken that approach to like everything that we've done. Like I, I, when people ask us what we do, I say we make kids laugh. And because we used to think of ourselves as a theatre company, yeah. but we also write books, we make podcasts, we sing songs, we uh, make television shows, we write educational content for people on spec. It's like... It's sort of, and part of that is like having an elastic creativity. It's like being open to the opportunities that present themselves and not being so locked off and defined about what it is that you do with your toil that you say no to anything. And I really think that that's what happened when we first started doing the kids' shows. It was like, this is a thing that we could do. Sure, let's yeah, do that. Yeah. We bet we rarely say no to new creative opportunities or new creative things because part of the kind of magic of being in this collaboration is like what is the one plus one equals three of of spending time in a creative space together and what's it going to turn out like which is thrilling as a job matt mentioned that the listies have written books made tv and performed nationally and internationally and are open creatively to almost any endeavor do they have a favorite medium though I think for us, it's always going to be live theatre. I don't know. But, yeah. I, I, but, but the thing is, you can't do it all the time because it does tire you out physically and mentally. Like it does take. So I've started to think about the, what we do a little bit like, you know, when you've got to have crop rotation, <laughs> you've got to have, like, you can't just grow wheat in the same field again and again and again. Where, um, where the broad beans after the tomatoes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I've started to feel like we just did a big show, a big season at Comedy Festival, and we've just been finishing up a book in the last week. And I'm really glad for that sort of solitary, quiet work that's come after very, very social, very output-based energy. So while live performance is a blast, it is tiring, and it's nice for the listies to have a bit of variety. I wanted to find out about why the listies think what they do is important. Now, your act is really funny, and it's not just for kids, but also for adults. And I know that you say you perform for kids. I still can't do it. Kidults? Kidults. How do you I say, say it? Kidult. You em- you're emphasizing the alt in kidult, <laughs> which I think does sound dangerously like alt-right. Okay, yeah. Which, I, is, I, which I just, we have nothing. No. Yeah. Yeah, granted. <laughs> <laughs> Glad we got that into the interview, though. Yes, absolutely. Why do you think the list is, is an important thing, albeit silly? Why are you so successful? Why do people come to your shows? Why is it important? Oh, that's an interesting question. 
Um, I think it's really funny. <laughs> they come come by accident. I yeah, think. most people just sort of sit in the <laughs> sit think, in the seats and go, "What the hell is, is this? Is this the toilet? Oh, damn, <laughs> damn! I joined the wrong queue. I've literally never thought about this, Matt. Over to you. I think that there's something about like what we provide in our shows is a shared laugh, like a shared experience for laughter. And I think there's a lot of great kids comedy that that happens that divides the audience in two. There are jokes for the kids and jokes for the parents. And I think that somehow in the magic of Rich and I standing on stage, we managed to sort of tickle those audiences at the same time. And I think that I'm discovering that that is that's unique. the goal. Yeah, yeah, that that is. It's it's funny because it, it happens on screen all the time. Like we now accept yeah. that. That was a big deal when Pixar came along and everyone was like, oh, my God, it's a kid's, kids movie, but I like it. Whereas previously kids movies had been there's almost a sharp delineation. But in the live realm, that maybe doesn't happen so much. So you get like your Ben 10 live, your Barbie live, those types of shows. I think we sort of harken back to a sort of earlier era of comedy, like a light entertainment. Yeah, family entertainment. So sort of more yeah. Malcolm and Wise and Laurel and Hardy and that kind of stuff is what we like. What Frank Woodley once sort of looked at the double act sort of set up and he's got, Frank's got like a lot of sort of philosophical reasonings for why there's there's something about the, the double act that speaks to people. And he yeah. thinks it plays out like an inner anxiety between adult and child that lives inside everybody. Yeah. Uh, which I think, you know, that's earnest, but I think there's something in that. Well, yeah, that, that's, his, that's his thing about why status works on stage. So we, we're on stage, we're sort of a smart guy or a clever a guy who's apparently clever and a, and a crazy, stupid guy. And Matt plays the stupid guy and I play the apparently clever one. Although I'm not that clever, I'm often quite dumb. But Frank's got this whole thing about like, that you are, you're able to see internal wrestles happening externally, which is why it's pleasurable. Yeah, it's something that we roll around our heads a little bit as well. Because like what we, we used to think that our, our act was like brothers bickering, but there's something in the last couple of years that we've shifted to the idea that it's actually the relationship between parent and child. And, and like I, my friend's kid was having a tantrum in the supermarket the other day and they were just laying on the ground, like screaming because they wanted ice cream and my friend Lou was like I want to do that I wish that I could do that I wish I could lay on the ground and cry about how I can't have ice cream yeah and I think there's something I think there's something in that kind of people watching yeah Rich trying to wrangle me being stupid I think the parents sort of get a pleasure out of like well it's dealing in a way it's dealing with anxiety our shows are based on things that cause anxiety so you know being stuck in the car someone feels sick or Matt won't go to bed and I really want him to go to bed or I've got food and Matt hasn't got food so they're about anxieties and then you see like that thing that Hannah Gadsby says in Nanette you know you're sort of about showing an anxiety and and then popping that bubble all the time (laughs) you know It's here that I told Matt and Rich that it's clear that even though what they do on stage appears fun and silly, there's obviously a lot of work that goes into what they do. We're thoughtfully lowbrow. 100%. I love that. I think it's great. Well, I mean, we sort of like, there's, there's, we don't do bullying in our, like there's some stuff that's just not on for our shows. Like it's like we don't like bullying. We don't think that bullying is Yeah, like the three stooges do that all the time. They hit each other. We don't like hitting each other. We don't like. We don't like that sort of stuff because it's sort of, I don't know, when you laugh at it, you make it okay. There's certain things that won't make it into a listies show because their shows are considered. And we've found out why Matt and Rich think the listies are important for the audience. But why are the listies important to Rich and Matt personally? 
Oh, that's a really wonderful question. I think that there's something, I don't know, about making people laugh that's just the best thing that you can do with your time. It's that thing of, like, absolute presence. Yeah, and it feels healing for everybody, like, especially the, the first shows that we did after lockdown in at the Opera House. Like, those laughs were just so amazing. Yeah, that was that was a weird time. Yeah, and to get to do that for families is, like, I don't know, it's excellent. I think it's that thing... I, I used to be a clown doctor at the Royal Children's Hospital. So I was a clown and uh, making kids laugh. And, and I always had this thing when I was doing it. It's like, this is when I feel like an effective human being. Like I'm using my talent and skills to like do something good in the world. Like I'm, con- I'm, I'm contributing to the totality of human happiness, you know, and I feel that when I'm on stage. It's sort of a rush when you're on stage and we're all in it together. I can remember years ago seeing a comedian, who I'm not going to name, but I saw them live about 10 years ago and everything they said was making the audience laugh and they were improvising. And I was like, I can't do that. And I want to be able to do that. I think I'm more fueled by a sort of ambition. <laughs> like yeah, chasing to, the laughter. Yeah. Like how, how do you get, like, how do you work towards getting like a perfect show where every single thing is funny? It's a sort of ambition. It's addictive. It's amazing. It's it's absolute presence is what it is. Like when you're on stage doing a good show, if you think about, ah, oh, I wonder if there's enough bolognese in the fridge to have for dinner when I get home, you will make a mistake at that point. Here, Rich's thoughts inspire a story from Matt. And while he said he didn't think it would make it into the show, I think it's really fitting. And it helps to understand what they had both just said about being present on stage. Oh, do you know the story about Weird Al Yankovic? So Weird Al Yankovic is both of his parents died in a house fire and Weird Al was told that that had happened half an hour before he went on to stay and he went on. He went on because he was just about to have an hour where he didn't have to think about it. That is so true though, right? Because if you're driving your car or you're making dinner or you're in any way alive during a, a normal day, you will have subconscious thoughts. You'll be thinking other things yeah. as you go to sleep, as you clean your teeth. When you're on stage, there is that full engagement with what you're doing and where you are. Yeah, and it's like you don't really belong to yourself as well. It's like you're just a vessel for the entertainment of the people in front of you and and to sort of those shows where you sort of disengage from that uh, or you kind of shut that conduit down a little bit, you're not doing your job properly. So You can see when other performers are doing, are doing that, yeah. yeah. You're like, you're not here right now. Okay, you have worked together for ages, not to... Too long. Yeah, potentially. <laughs> but I just want to know who's more annoying. Uh, uh, me, for sure. Like, without a doubt. You reckon, Matt, it's you? I'm cheerful. <sighs> Matt is cheerful and upbeat and positive and he's optimistic and he's always trying to see things as, like, not problems but challenges and it's hell to be around. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> It's relentless. But no, you know, I'm seriously. realistic. Yeah, I was being serious. This is serious. <laughs> all jokes aside, how have Rich and Matt kept a healthy working relationship for all this time? Therapy. <laughs> Not joking. <laughs> we work on our on the way that we talk to each other. Yeah, that's that's actually the truth of that. Yeah, we and I think that like being men, we grew up and we received quite a lot of toxic behaviors from that. So we spend a you bit of time still fart all, all the time. I'm that's so sorry. That's about a that. toxic yeah. behavior. But that's IBS. So. <laughs> yeah. So we we have somebody that we talk to when we're at points in our working relationship that need some 
some help. It's like that Metallica movie, Some Kind of Monster. Yeah, it's exactly like Metallica. That's what we are. <laughs> yeah, we are. We're pretty, good. We're pretty good at talking about stuff. We don't let things fester. We're very open about like when something's a problem and we do talk through it and things do get heated, but that's okay. So we, d- we do. I've seen other people who work together and they just don't argue. And I think for us, at a risk of sounding like we come from California, <laughs> it's not about not arguing. It's about arguing well. Mm. Yeah. And just like not letting resentment seethe to the point where it's like, you know, we've heard stories of double acts being on stage and then one person's exhibiting the same behavior that they've been doing for 20 years and then that person just walks off stage. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they don't talk to each other backstage. Yeah. Or they're awful that kind backstage. Of stuff and, yeah. Yeah. So we're like. That's quite common. Yeah. Really, in showbiz. And I, I honestly, honestly think that's because more, more often than not, those stories are men and men learn to not talk to each other. I How really much of your time do you actually spend together? Um, like 10 till 6 every day, Monday to Friday. And then when we're on tour, we don't really spend that much time together. We do the show and then we and live then our own lives. live our own lives on tour because it is like being on stage is a lot. It's a lot to spend together and you to give each other a lot of energy. I think if we are together, then we'll be working. So we sort of take that time away. To yeah. Just sort of. Although some people hang out with each other when they're on tour, like tripod in the old days used to take like a playstation and just play playstation all the time which i guess now i say it is not actually hanging out it's just playing playstation yeah, yeah, in the same room yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 it's yeah. just the way playstation yeah. you, don't, you don't stay in the same place together we do we oh, just do. we don't share we don't share a room yeah. oh yeah. even though even mm-hmm. though producers want us to like can't you just guys just like sleep in uh, one of you sleep on the couch? no we, we we don't sit together on the plane well that's because richard <laughs> reads like history books and then it <laughs> goes did you know yeah that actually that, our like, word for mogul comes from uh, my entire life <laughs> comes from a, the indian dynasty that was based in delhi in the 1700s like, sorry i'm trying to read some ya that's what i'm doing <laughs> you've obviously developed tips and tricks for your own relationship like you know that that's hell yeah that you don't do yeah and then you don't do it yeah that's right and that comes from working together for so long yeah, absolutely. And that also comes from chatting to other people and like and go and them going, well if if that annoys you then you can just remove that from from your working relationship. Like you don't need to sit together on the plane or you don't need to it's like and that's okay. It's like, "Oh, okay." So they've found a way to work through and talk through any issues that arise, and they continue to work together and create awesome content. I wanted to shift gears and find out about the wildest Potentially worst gigs they've had. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're early on, the first time we ever got toured was like, this is 2010, maybe. QPAC, the Queensland Performing Arts Centre, got us up for a festival. It was the first time we'd ever, like, been put on a plane and yeah. put in a hotel room by a festival. So fancy, Brisbane. Amazing. Uh, yeah, and the, we we now always have this thing where the audience is, um, we, we don't like to have this thing where kids sit at the front and parents sit at the back. We like to have them be just like people sitting together, which is a radical idea yes. in kids' theatre. You have no idea how often. <laughs> Aren't they like animals that you put in a pen oh, down the oh, front? But you mean that They're the, fed occasionally by the owners. You mean the kids and the parents share the experience together? Yeah, crazy. So they kids were down the front, they were sitting on pillows, and then 
there's this bit where we did this alien attack where the kid's supposed to throw stuff, but to a kid, like a pillow and an alien from our show and the thing they're sitting on or a chair, it's all the same, or their shoes, <laughs> or, 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 or were all the same thing. And they just pelted everything, including shoes. <laughs> and there was like someone had weed their self during the show. So there was urine on a pillow that yeah. was like hitting us. And I was like, oh, we really just we really just took the lid off here and did not know how to control that energy. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. So I remember that. And we're just nice. like, oh, oh, we're just not qualified for this. Once we, <laughs> <laughs> once we were doing a show in Edinburgh at like, I don't know, it was one in the morning. We were, we'd both forced this out of our memory and it popped up the other day. But once we were doing a show in Edinburgh at one in the morning on the cabaret lineup and there was seven people in the crowd and none of our material was working. So we just got the entire audience to stand on stage and put them in order of height and <laughs> then sat in the, then they bowed and we gave them a clap and then that was the end of our spot. <laughs> Yeah, was, yeah. Edinburgh really pushes you to some places you you, you didn't know you were going to go to. Yeah. yeah, is that I don't know. Is that entertaining? It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't at all. They all sort of looked in, stood in a line and looked at us and went, "And now what?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to our world, yeah, audience. And what about the awesome gigs? The moments that really validate what the listies do. Just when they're all awake at the end and not. <laughs> No one's been sick. When no one's got their phone out. No, yeah. no, when no one's asked to watch Bluey on yeah. Mum's phone during the show. That's yeah. nice. It's a really nice feeling. To get my niece, to my niece and nephew came to see us recently and they just ate the whole time the show was on. Like It was like dinner and a show. I love that um, about kids. They don't know that that's not. Yeah, well, I can eat donuts. I can just have whatever I want all the time. Look, uh, the other day I was hanging out, having a coffee, and a man came up to us, oh, yeah. uh, up to me, and said, "Go away!" Yeah, what? Are, what <laughs> get, are you doing here? What are you doing? Get out of my garden! <laughs> this is my office, and it's a, it's my home <laughs> office. How did you get in here? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he was on Zoom. Uh, <laughs> no, and he he said, "Oh, you know, I we saw your show at Comedy Festival. Thank you for what you do." He said, my, my daughter loved the show and it's changed our relationship. We, we now play Matt and Rich at home. And we and that's that's lovely. They listen to our albums in the car. They make up sketches and play games based on like the world that they've discovered through our albums and now our TV show and our, our live shows. And that's like excellent. That's a really lovely feeling. Okay. And to shift gears again, what's the worst thing about what Matt and Rich do? Admin. <laughs> uh, the, grant, grant applications the constant income insecurity uh, <laughs> i said the, one bad thing though. <laughs> uh, the, it's all bad <laughs> the slowly diminishing live theater scene <laughs> in no, that's Australia not true and, nah uh, what is the bad thing yeah it is i mean that's yeah. the bad thing is that i guess it's just that that it, there is a sort of there is a sort of precarity of being in the arts, yeah. especially in Australia. Yeah. Even though we really validate our cultural figures in this country and we love music and we love our actors and stuff, I feel like sport tends to win in Australia. I might be controversial for saying that, but maybe not. It's not that controversial. So I think that, that that's definitely a challenge. Yeah, it's, 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 it's the constant. Like as, also as, travel is hard. You, yeah. Being away from your family. Is hard. Yeah. It feels like this whole chat has been a celebration of what Rich and Matt do. But I had to ask anyway. 
What's the best part of what they do? Uh, there's In our shows, there's a bit where we make a list where we ask the audience, we ask the kids in the crowd for like what their favourite food is or what do they call their nan or what book are they reading, what movie are they watching, that sort of stuff. And there's for me, sometimes there's just a moment in there that is like where the kid says something so funny or so unexpected that it just genuinely floors floors us like the opportunity to open up the space for that to happen and for that kid to make you know sometimes 700 people laugh and the rich and i have kind of constructed this space where they feel okay to talk and they feel okay to be silly and to make a joke that for me is just that's excellent yeah it's good when sometimes you put the microphone to a baby's mouth and the babe one time this baby like grabbed the microphone with both hands and just went like that sort of like this buddhist chant that came through the pa system uh and it was the mum was laughing so hard because this little baby's going through the pa and that was pretty uh, so those absurd moments where you're all just like what are we doing Doing. like Like, (laughs) how did this become what i'm doing on a saturday afternoon (laughs) and this yeah and this like very primal actually it's a group of people in a room laughing sort of at each other rather than there's no there's no there's no medium in between it yeah you know what i mean yeah Yeah. and i think that's what the list moments in the show sort of open up as well it's like it's because everybody knows that this is being improvised and they they have the feeling that that's never that won't happen again it's time for the baby to do tibetan throat singing (laughs) (laughs) i love it what would you tell someone who like you wanted to make eating a banana on stage hilarious slash what would you tell someone that that had an idea potentially wanted to create something like the listies back off buddy i would say back off we've got banana comedy covered yeah we invented it it's ours and you're not allowed to use it full stop the end also that goes for knock knock jokes our lawyer yeah our lawyer will be in contact I would I I would say to the banana the question is find somebody uh, really funny to yell at you every time you try and eat the banana. They shouldn't live or die by their last audience. You know what I mean? And the best piece of advice that me was ever was ever given to me was the only way to good shows is through bad shows. <laughs> so everyone has to do bad shows for a while before yeah. they can do it. No one's first ever show. I mean, they do. it does happen, but it's very rare that someone's first ever show is their best show. So you have to sort of struggle. It's that uh, Ira Glass thing of like, the, the reason you get into this is because you have good taste and you your taste is like you like things really passionately and interestingly, and then you try and emulate those things, but you don't have the skill set. So there's like this gap between what you like and what you can do. And it's about being able to deal with that gap existing until you sort of get somewhere where you actually start to like your work. Yeah, and think also maintaining a sense of curiosity in that space as to why you're not quite there yet. Like I think the second, because then if you stay, with, not, if you stay without that kind of curiosity, then you're never going to move towards the thing that you're interested in. And we've been doing it for nearly unique way. fifteen years, and I'm, we still haven't closed that gap. Nah, I still don't like our shows. No, I hate them. <laughs> I hate them. <laughs> Even though I told them I would end the episode on them joking about hating their own shows, I think it's fitting we end on something a little more fun. I asked Rich and Matt whether they think they'll be the listies forever. I have this persistent ambition 
uh, to do Waiting for Godot when we're really, really old. I'm not sure if Matt's that is interested in it because he doesn't like Beckett as much as I do. But I would love to do a production of Waiting for Godot, which is about two old clowns, basically, waiting for this thing that never comes. And I think it would be like have such pathos if we'd been been working together on and off for like 50 years and we finally did this show. So I do have that image, but I don't tend to think past the next year, especially not at the moment. (laughs) 2020 really crimped our style. Matt? Yeah, I mean, I I would like to. I, I think that there's something... I think there's something interesting about we never play kids on stage. We are ourselves. We That's are true. adult men. And there is something really wonderful about giving kids the opportunity to see adults being stupid and being silly and making mistakes. And I I love the idea of us being really old and doing, like, yeah, well, doing I mean, shows. Like, it's funny because... There's it, something excellent about that. And that exists in Britain, but it doesn't sort of exist here. Yeah, you know? There's this sort of idea that, like, uh, especially in kids' TV, is there's a lot of kids want to see themselves on television, which is great. But there's a sort of tradition of, like, with, like, French clowns and um, Russian clowns, really, really old clowns mm-hmm. still yeah. nailing it. And they're so good because they've been doing it their whole lives. So and I, I don't – I still feel like I'm only, like, an intermediate comedian. I still don't feel like I'm as good as I could be. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I definitely yeah. think that about you. Thanks, like, man. A lot. <laughs> Almost all the I time. I set them up, you knock them down. That's uh, how it works. Uh, and and also there's something about, I don't know whether you get this in your life, Rich, but... What, I, fan mail? All the time. Oh, wow. I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm so jealous. Can't open my front door. Uh, but what people do say to me, you can't do this forever. Oh, do they? Yeah, I get that a bit from, like, my mom and whatnot. Ah. And it's like, well, I don't know. Your mom's know. out of the band. I don't know. She's like, oh, she's Yoko. Yoko. She is. <laughs> she is. If you're listening to this, Matt's mum, back off. She, she would have tuned out ages ago. She would have gone, this isn't Midsummer Murders. Although someone may die at the end. We're yet to find out. <laughs> TBC. TBC. All of our jokes died. Am I right? Boom. People say you can't do it forever, Matt, and you say... Oh, uh, why not? I'd like to send a huge thank you to Matt and Rich, a.k.a. The Listies, for being on the show. Not only did I learn heaps, I laughed a lot. They got this cadult smiling. How do you say it? Did I say it right? Anyway... They spoke a lot about how communication is the key to a long-lasting working relationship and a unique and wonderful sense of presence keeps performance alive for them. If you want more info about the Listies, head to thelisties.com. Thanks for listening to another episode of How Do You Do That with Emily Tresseter. If you think you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, get in touch. Email howdoyoudothat at joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.